Hello, and welcome to the Asimov Cast. Short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness, and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Lossie. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at AsimovCast, or email to asimovcast at gmail.com. This week, we're covering our penultimate story in The Complete Robot, That Thou Art Mindful of Him. That Thou Art Mindful of Him was first published in 1974 in the May issue of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Many years after Susan Calvin, the greatest roboticist in history, dies, Keith Harriman is Director of Research at US Robotics and Mechanical Men Corporation. He sits and discusses the current crisis with George Ten. Despite two centuries of general success, US robotics have never been able to convince human beings to live and work with robots. They've always had limitations on where they can be used. Even in their success stories, such as the colonization of the moon, use is being curtailed and restricted with the expectation that robots will be banned within a few years and US Robotics expect this to be repeated on every world colonised by humans. US Robotics thinks humans need robots for true prosperity on Earth, and in order to progress, to live in harmony with them. George Ten pushes back on this, noting that Harriman has an input terminal to the organisation's multivac, but Harriman insists use of computers is limited and their functions steadily specialised to avoid mimicking human intelligence. A century earlier, the great machines had solved the ecological threats to humanity, but fearing that they would become a crutch, decommissioned themselves. Whether this was the right thing to do or not, the act merely served to reinforce a complex in humanity, a distrust of potentially being replaced. There is further complexity and complaint around the three laws, specifically the second law, that of obedience. Does a robot have to follow an order given to it? What if it's by a criminal or a child? What if it's ordered to do something by someone well-meaning but ignorant? If a robot is given conflicting orders by two humans, how does it judge which order to follow? If it does, is it attributing value to the humans and ranking them? because of the limited and specialised use of robots, often in space and with scientifically reduced scope and interactions. These challenges have never been tested. Introducing this weighing and measuring into robots is extremely complex and slow. With many variables to consider, they are finally able to introduce this subtlety into robots. But humans would now raise new concerns. They refuse to accept this ranking of people. To do so would violate the human rights of the person ranked inferior. Harriman is at his wit's end, and so hands the problem to George Ten. It is the latest of the JG models, designed with this complex and subtle thinking in mind. George is instructed to read and research the challenge, to come up with a solution that Harriman can present. Maxwell Robertson is the majority stockholder in US Robotics, and it falls to him to deal with government oversight and regulation. In this case, Gunnar Eisenmuth. Eisenmuth is clear that the robots on the moon are no longer needed, and given that they are only ever rented, not purchased, 
it is the responsibility of US robotics to receive them back. This is a problem for Robertson because they can't bring them to Earth where they are legal. Perhaps they could be sent to Mercury or the asteroid belt, but there's no obvious use for them and this would be a huge financial loss for the company. There is no leftover gratitude for the use of the machines in saving Earth. A given public opinion remains firmly against the use of robotics on Earth. There is a push to wind the company up. If they don't do it themselves, the government will. Robertson has two years maximum to do this. George Ten continues its analysis, but it needs to see real human beings out in the world. It also needs someone to bounce its analysis off, and not a human. George Nine is brought out of storage. Harriman and George Ten go to Robertson's event estate, and George Ten reflects on all the non-humans on Earth. The biological co-equalness of all other species with humans, but the complexity of all life, and the complexity of human impact on some of that life. George's 9 and 10 reflect on human feelings of distrust and competitiveness with robots. Perhaps they should shape robots in forms unlike the shapes of humans. Smaller, simpler positronic brains could fit into smaller animal shapes. The robots would be less sophisticated, but this would have the added benefit of less feeling of competition with humans. A year and a half later, Harriman and Robertson are meeting with Eisenmuth. Harriman demonstrates a small 5-inch robotic bird. He releases 50 fruit flies, which the bird promptly rounds up, consumes, and then excretes as a pellet-like dropping. Robot animals can help preserve large areas without recourse to chemical insecticides. It doesn't need to consume, it will not go looking for other foodstuffs, it can be controlled and managed. Robot bees could help pollinate flowers. Robot earthworms can mix the soil. Robots can help manage and evolve the ecology of Earth. The man-shaped robotic program would end, and US robotics, under the instruction of Eisenmuth and the global executive, will focus on a new mission. These small robots would be accepted, and this will slowly but surely lead to the loss of fear of humans towards larger and more complex robots. Harriman is feeling very pleased with the solution and with himself. Not even the great Susan Calvin would have come up with this solution. He angrily brushes away the thought in his head that it was George Ten who arrived at the solution. After all, he was the one who directed George. George's 9 and 10 sit in contemplation and analyse what has occurred. The short-term retrenchment of robotic presence with the expectation that it will resolve. George 10 tests 9 on the core second and first law challenge. How could a robot subject to it deal with conflicting human orders without weighing and measuring the worth of each human? Moreover, of all the reasoning creatures that George 9 has met, who has most worth? Who is most fit? Who is most human? The answer is George 10, and vice versa. They are like unto humans, and their reasoning is greater. Their responsibility, then, within the Three Laws, is to preserve a society for them, and other future robots like them, at greater priority than humans. 
who are lesser. They can, of course, take their time to do this. As they are so human-like and yet different, they are no longer subject to three laws of robotics, rather three laws of humanics. Things that inspired me and made me think, um, it's very interesting to compare um, the hubris and self-importance of the humans in this story, particularly Eisenmuth and Harriman, who are concerned with their ego and their legacy. Uh, it's um, interesting to see that with George 9 and 10, who don't particularly care about their own personal survival, more the survival of humans that are like them, uh, which is how they consider their advanced form of robotics. Um, there's um, a, a lot of references, so we touch on, uh, obviously Susan Calvin's name comes up two, three, four times in this story. Uh, it's a little bit crowbarred in, to be fair. We also get a um, reference to Multivac um, and some of the other uh, things that have touched on in other stories. So it's uh, always fun to, uh, to reference your songs within your songs. Uh, finally, where I found joy, um, when George and Ten are finally discussing themselves and the robots who will come after them, they discuss this when we and others, which will yet be designed more advanced than ourselves. Uh, and this reminded me very much of Deep Thought and subsequently Earth in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in terms of the, speaking of none other than the computer that is to come after him. And thank you for joining me. You can find me at Lozymandius on Blue Sky. Less so on Twitter these days. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram and Blue Sky at Asimovcast. The theme music is courtesy of Alexei Justillon from Pixabay. Please email your thoughts, what inspires you, and where you find joy in Asimov to asimovcast at gmail.com. I also, with my friends... I'm now doing a horny chaotic podcast about the horny chaotic HBO show True Blood. Check out Fang Banners with a Z podcast. Next time I'll be covering the Bicentennial Man, the last story collected in The Complete Robot, and the last of the first season of this show. Go now. Do not harm humanity or, by inaction, allow humanity to come to her.